0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. This morning we are in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6. The book of Proverbs chapter 6. We got a, we moved on from the first section to the second section last week. and I want to get right back to it again this week. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways, and be wise. So uh, we'll be dealing with verses uh, 6 through 11, starting today. Let's open the word of prayer, making sure that distractions are set aside, that we are humble under the authority of the word of God. Shall we pray? Most gracious, heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, the blessing that it is for us to assemble together today. I thank you for the scriptures. I thank you for uh, the provision that's been made for our life and godliness, the spiritual truth that is contained in special revelation. I thank you also, Father, for natural revelation. I thank you for the uh, the sun, moon, and stars, the universe, the plants, the trees. Even the ants, Father, have doctrine to communicate, and I pray that we would be mindful of uh, what can be learned through the natural revelation as your word unfolds it. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right. In Proverbs chapter 6, David's parental wisdom turns uh, to financial matters. David's parental wisdom to Solomon turns to financial matters. Much of chapter 5 centered on <coughs> immorality, sexual matters, and things of that nature. He will come back to that issue again and again and again in chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 9. There's much more to go with respect to the uh, sexual issues that the book of Proverbs deals with. So if you thought we were through with all that, uh, think again. Okay, It's going to come back in, in all of these chapters. But for the moment, the attention turns to other things that will destroy your life, including uh, mismanagement of of your finances, including poor decisions in the realm of money. And so the first admonition is a warning against the financial entanglements of others. And in verse 1 through 5, we have the admonition that says we should not be entangled, snared, or caught uh, for your neighbor, all right? Love your neighbor, but you're not doing business with your neighbor. If you have become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, that is the wrong venue for your financial ties, your financial obligations. You have family obligations in the financial realm, but not your neighbor. Your neighbor, uh, his financial entanglements are his family and uh, some of the issues there. We would ask ourselves, well, why does he want me to co-sign this note? <laughs> why does he want me to become the guarantor of this, uh, of this loan? Why is he otherwise... Well, what's wrong with the normal source of credit? What's wrong with the normal business operations, which would be within his family, his clan, and his tribe? Why is he coming to me to be the guarantor for this endeavor? And uh, if, if, if there's a financial arrangement he can't handle it then there are procedures in the law that not only can it be handled that way but it must be handled that way in the will of God for the glory of Jesus Christ. He has a kinsman that has the blessing and the privilege to redeem him and to redeem his property and to redeem his debts and the issues uh, that, are, that are connected there. And so if I'm going to become surety for him what am I doing? I'm, I'm actually circumventing the plan of God at that point. I'm, I'm taking a ministry opportunity away from a kinsman to be a kinsman redeemer in, uh, in, in all these ways. All right, so we had some subpoints and some other information. Took several weeks to work our way through that. Uh, we work our way now to main point two. David's second financial admonition is a warning against laziness. A warning against laziness. And so clearly um, both items can be destructive financially and they can be destructive uh, spiritually. It's amazing how a maladjustment in the realm of finances can cause a believer to be maladjusted in his spiritual walk. He gets disoriented, he gets fearful, he gets scared, he, he gets confused as to where his true provision comes from. And he ends up putting the cart before the horse instead of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he's all wrapped up in the, in the financial issues of, of what he's piled on his own head. All right, so the, uh, the financial entanglements is, is a snare. Likewise, um, laziness is a snare. And uh, such as is the case, uh, a sluggard gets very good at being a sluggard, okay? Laziness is habit forming. I don't know if you noticed that or not. You gotta break that habit. You gotta get out of it. You gotta form new habits. Habits of diligence. Habits that hinder the habits of laziness. And so as we read it here, it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And this is, um, of course, it's all poetry, but this last part, verses uh, 9 and 10, uh, basically form a, uh, or verses 10 and 11, form a, uh, really a a ditty, form a a childhood song. Something that could be uh, learned by a young child and uh, should be learned by a young child. Um, Certainly it's a lot more edifying than Ring Around the Roses, okay? Pocket full of poses, whatever, all right? This would actually be edifying in terms of a children's sing-songy kind of uh, uh, poem or or, or song, and uh, uh, even a lullaby, okay? Uh, But you don't generally sing lullabies to wake somebody up. Uh, This is a song that's designed to convince a child that too much sleep is a problem, that uh, when, when you should be at work, when there's work to be done, that uh, there's a time to sleep and this isn't it. We've got to get busy about what we need to get busy about. So the rhetorical how long will you lie down is uh, quite pointed because uh, you know, you're you not going to stop the seasons. Harvest is coming and winter is after that. And uh, you know, is this the time to be lying down? How long will you lie down, O oh, Sluggard, because the calendar doesn't stop? All right. Now, under this, sluggards should learn from ants. Sluggards should learn from ants. We should learn from a lot of sources. We should learn from the scriptures. But if you don't learn from the scriptures, maybe nature can wake you up to where you can learn from nature and then go back to learn from the scriptures. Because it's the scriptures that tell us to learn from nature. Okay, it's not, it's uh, the, the evolutionary worldview says learn from nature and ignore the scriptures and approaches it on an atheistic basis that says, you know, this creation is all there is, the physical universe is all there is, and, and so forth. No, the scriptures tell us to learn from creation because creation points to the creator. And we can observe principles, and we can observe design uh, from, the, from the creation itself, and that's what we have here. Go to the ant. There's other animals that can teach us things as well according to the scriptures, these animals can teach us things. We don't just find an animal that's doing something we want to try <laughs> and say, well, that animal does it. Let me give it a shot and see how it goes. All right? No. But as the scriptures command us to learn from the animals, um, we can draw the principle appropriately and uh, in a legitimate way. So sluggards should learn from ants. at subpoint uh, A. The vocabulary for the sluggard is the verb atzel, and uh, atzel, to be sluggish, to be lazy. It's actually, it's an adjective uh, used as a substantive noun. There's one use of the verb, uh, the root verb that can be found in Judges 18, 9. We looked at that last week. Uh, but basically to be the the hyper-procrastinator, right? You know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or anything, because you wouldn't get around to raising your hand anyway, but I think if I asked for a show of hands for procrastinators, you know, I'd be the first one to to raise my hand, okay, eventually, at whatever point. And, And that's a problem, because that does not image God, and we are to image God. We are in the image of God, and God himself is not a procrastinator. When he delays, it's in his wisdom, in his patience to delay, but he's still very actively working out his purpose, even in his delays. And uh, we want to be clear on that. Notice all these Proverbs uses. Uh, the, the adjective here is used 14 times. The adjective is not sale again. That's apostrophe A-T-S-E-L not sale. Number 6102 is the strongest Concordance number on that. 14 uses, and every last one of them is in the book of Proverbs. And uh, we start here in Proverbs 6, verses 6 and 9, uh, but the sluggard's going to come back in chapter 10, chapter 13, all these other places throughout the book. Chapter 15, chapter 19, chapter 20, 21, 22, 24. And then look at the the, the crunch passage in chapter 26, okay? We can turn there, Proverbs 26, Verse 13, 14, 15, and 16. I call that the crunch passage because we've got a a quadruple use there in in those verses. 13, 14, 15, and 16. So we're going to get very used to the sluggard by the time we're done with the book of Proverbs, rapture pending if we were here long enough to finish this book. Um, But in chapter 26, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. You know, it's not true, but it, it sounds good. It's a reasonable excuse. I, yeah, I can't go to work today. There's a lion in the road. <laughs> I can't go to, I can't go. It's like a, a Texan when there's a, a thin little shiver of ice and they say, oh, well, let close the schools. The, the roads are icy. We can't go anywhere, you know, and people from places that have snow just laugh and say, this, that's ridiculous. Are you kidding me? That's barely a dust of whatever, you know, but I don't blame you for staying away from those crazy Austin drivers. All right. All right. There's a lion in the road as the door turns on its hinges, you know, and you realize that it turns on its hinges and only goes so far and then it turns right back. Right. And this is the guy that can't get out of bed. He rolls over trying to get out of bed and then he just rolls right back. And uh, yeah, as the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. Okay. Reminds me of some teenagers, but I don't want to get personal. But there it is. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. There's the, that's the pinnacle right there. When you're absolutely so lazy you can't get your hand from the dish to your mouth. That's, uh, that's the pinnacle. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes. There's always an excuse. There's always a reason. You can't even talk sense into these knuckleheads because they know better than seven men who can uh, give a discreet answer. So he's, he knows it all. And uh, there it is. So that's why we've we got to deal with sluggards. And we'll have this repeatedly in the book. Um, the ants are not as exciting uh, vocabulary. In fact, ants only shows up twice in the Bible. Here in Proverbs 6.6 6, and also in Proverbs 30.25. The only two places that you have the namalah or the plural namalim. Okay, so it's kind of a boring word study when you only have two verses to look at, but there you have it. All right, Nemala, like John Nimala. You remember John Nimala? Spoke here years ago. Uh, John Nimala. His name is not Hebrew. His family is Finnish by uh, ethnicity, but uh, so it's only a, a homophonic quirk that his name sounds like the Hebrew word for Ant. Namalā, or the plural is namalīm, and the only thing unusual about that is namalā is a feminine noun, but it takes a masculine plural ending, and uh, kind of weird the way it does that does. It's not the only noun that does that, but it's it's strange when a feminine singular noun takes the īm ending. The īm ending is the masculine plural ending. Uh, not entirely unique. That's not exactly rare, but it's not common either. That uh, such a thing would happen. But anyway, so there it is. Singular ant, plural, ants. And uh, Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 30, the only places that talk about ants. In Proverbs 30, we have more than ants. We have um, other animals, including one that I think modern scholarship has kind of given up on trying to figure out what it is. Uh, guessing it's probably a rock badger of some type. Um, maybe. Maybe. See, you can study the, the, the flora and fauna of Israel in modern times, but who's to say that it's the same animals that were around back in Bible times and, uh, and so forth. Proverbs 30 and verse 25, the ants, uh, verse 24 says, uh, four things are small on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. So don't confuse size or physical might with wisdom. The, uh, the ants are not a strong people. That's the Nimalayim or the the Nimalim, are not a strong people, but they prepare their food in the summer. So they have wisdom. They don't have strength, but they have wisdom. The rock badgers or the conies or the rabbits or the Shiphonim, finally I think the New American Standard Bible just gave up And and this is a difference too. I think if you have an original NASB, they put uh, rock badgers in there. And if you have a 95 update or or more recent New American Standard, they just called it the Shephanim. The Shephanim are not a mighty people, yet they make their houses in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet all of them go out in ranks. And of course that's very common in the Bible. Everybody knows what locusts are. The lizard you may grasp with the hands, yet it is in king's palaces. So there's the four things. They're not large, but they have wisdom. All right. Including lizards. Did you know lizards are wise? I wish I would have known that back when I met Sharon. In any event, you don't know that story? My first date ever with Sharon uh, was uh, unpleasant just in the, the summer heat of Texas, I was still acclimating to the heat, still acclimating to Texas. Uh, my car did not have air conditioning, almost no car does, that's purchased in the Seattle area. And um, I mean, it's a luxury, and who wants to pay for that extra option when you don't need it, kind of a thing. So I didn't have AC in my car, sweating, just dying, and, and whatever. She was cold. She was ready to put on a sweater, and, she was, and so we were driving on 183 right there by Grace Covenant uh, Church. I still remember the exact spot on the highway, and uh, as we were driving, and I was commenting on how comfortable she was and how miserable I was, and I said, "What are you, some kind of lizard?" And uh, yeah, yeah. And then immediately I thought, "That's not a that's not a complimentary statement to be making." So if I'd had if I'd have known about Proverbs thirty at the time, I would have realized, "Well, wait a minute, lizards are are wise creatures." and they're still not flattering in, in any kind of way. Lizard never shows up in the erotic poetry of Song of Solomon, and so I was definitely inappropriate to employ that animal. All right. I promised I would read this to you this week. Uh, the Wycliffe Bible Encyclopedia has a good article on the harvester ants, so I'll click on that, have a chance to read it. I, I found it was useful, I'll make it larger. want me to pop it out? Pastor Cliff did the pop-outs. Everybody was all impressed with the pop-outs. I said, what are you impressed with the pop-outs for? I can do a pop-out. All right. Here's your harvester ants. They're exceeding abundant all all over Palestine. Thirty-one different kinds are now known in that land. Ants uh, only rarely enter into houses made of stone or mud brick. Thus, a long ancient omen listed the dire consequences to a house or its owner if one of many varieties of ants should be seen in it. That's kind of interesting. There's an author by the name of Bodenheimer that uh, I don't ha- I've never read and I don't have, but his, his uh, book there is evidently legendary because it gets quoted by everybody. Animal and Man in Bible Lands. All right, ant nests are ordinarily underground in Palestine to protect the ants against extensive heat. They frequently have special chambers which serve as nurseries, granaries, or fungal gardens. That's fun. Okay, fungus gardens. Particularly interesting are the references in Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 30 to ants which store up grain in the summer. At one time, critics doubted the activity of these harvester ants. It was even suggested that these references resulted from faulty observation that Solomon had seen the the white larval cases and had mistaken these for grains of wheat. We now know that, uh, Solomon was smarter than they were giving him credit for, we now know that several species of this genus build greeneries, flat chambers connected by galleries and irregularly scattered over an area averaging two yards in diameter and about a foot deep in the soil. They collect seeds from the ground or pluck them from the plants, remove the envelopes and discard the chaff and the empty capsules on uh, kitchen middens outside the nest. In other words, they're organized enough to set up those middens, to set up those areas, those refuse areas. Kitchen middens, they call them. During the winter, an average-sized nest may contain a half pint of seeds. Well, you know, they didn't get there in the winter. They were actually placed there before the winter. They were placed there in the summer, in in the harvest time, which is what Proverbs is talking about here. Uh, the ants first bite off the head or the radical, the softest part of the kernel, which prevents germination in the seeds, or they may spread them out in the sun to dry. Some seeds germinate in spite of this. The individual granaries may have five inches in diameter and half an inch high. Some nests may be 25 to 40 feet in diameter and six to seven feet deep with several entrances. All right, anyway, this is the article from Wycliffe Bible Encyclopedia. Um, Animals of the Bible under creeping, swarming things on the harvester ant. All right, so we can learn from them. Absolutely, we can learn from them. However, we learn from them because the Bible tells us to learn from them. And the Bible is what gives us the um, principle of diligence. The Bible gives us the warning against laziness, all right? And because the Bible gives us the warning for uh, the, the admonition to diligence and the warning against laziness, and because the Bible tells us that this particular insect is an illustration of that principle, then and only then do we go to the ant and learn, okay we go to the end and we learn as an illustration because the doctrine from the Bible is telling us to do so. Okay, And we're going to be very cautious because um, I do believe that natural revelation is valid, it is appropriate, but it can never be in defiance of special revelation. It can never be contradictory to the Bible in defiance of what God has revealed in His Word. And so we don't want to use natural revelation as a starting point and then shape our theology around that, okay? You see what I'm saying? that the natural theology cannot become our lens through which we then interpret the Bible. Or we could get in all kinds of trouble. We could find, like I say, we could find animals doing something that we want to try. And say, well, the animals are doing it, and then go take it to the Bible and try to interpret the Bible based on the lens or the interpretive criteria of what we see these animals doing. Okay. Uh, you know, try to maybe define, uh, defend some kind of uh, uh, polygamy thing, maybe. Find that, uh, well, there's a pride of lions over here, and you got this one lion, and he seems to be the, the dominant male. And uh, all these other lions are just kind of, you know, secondary type, um, beta male type lions. And the alpha male hogs all the, all the, the females, right? He gets all the women. Well you might imagine that the carnal mind could look at such a thing and think, huh, that might be kind of kind of, kind of fun, okay? Obviously in a carnal sort of way. But I'm not advocating. I'll make sure I'm clear on that. <clears throat> Point B. Let's spell this out a little bit here. Bios life wisdom, or bios life wisdom. The Greek is bios bios okay bios references our earthly existence it references our temporal life bios is how you the job you work the money you make the food you eat the kids you raise the house you live in the town you move to what we would call personal life okay bios life is your personal life and everybody has a personal life okay And we're not telling you how to run your personal life. That's not what the Bible's here for. However, the Bible will shape your zoe life. And your zoe life ought to then be reflected in your bios life. We should have a priority for zoe life that then shapes our bios life. And that's what point B is talking about here. So point B Bios life, wisdom, should be a reflection of Zoe life, wisdom. And there is wisdom for both lives. There is wisdom for both lives, all right? And so I want to have a Zoe life wisdom. I want to have a wisdom for pursuing the Christian way of life. I want to have a wisdom for living the word of God. I want to have a wisdom for being a pastor. I want to have a wisdom for giving the gospel to an unbeliever. I want to have a wisdom for Zoe life whereby I, I have a clear gospel. I'm not getting sidetracked into, into false gospel messages and, and all that stuff. We understand we want to have wisdom there. And that should hopefully also help to shape wisdom in bios life. Okay? Ideally, it will. And we're going to find more and more that the Word of God can be brought into focus. The Word of God will have applications in our Bios life. And we'll find that the Bible has a lot to say about a whole lot of practical issues in daily life, in personal life, in Bios life. The Bible will talk about our finances. The Bible will talk about our sex life. The Bible will talk about marriage and children. The Bible will talk about any number of, of otherwise earthly type things. And if our thinking, of the Bible will address politics. The Bible will address how we are subject to the governing authorities that are over us. But we have to start with the Bible. We start with Zoe life and then allow the Bios life to be a reflection of the Zoe life wisdom. Okay? And I think that's where some folks get misguided. Now, let me finish reading the screen and then uh, I will illustrate further. Insects cannot teach us Zoe life wisdom. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I can look to the ant all day long, and I'm not going to learn that Jesus died on the cross to provide me eternal life. I can watch ants until the cows come home, or I can watch cows until they come home, or whatever. I can I can watch I can sit under a tree and watch the seasons turn, and never learn about gifts, ministries, and effects. I will never learn about uh, overseers and deacons in a local assembly. Okay. There is obviously limitations to natural revelation. Insects cannot teach us Zoe life wisdom, but the Bible does teach Zoe life wisdom and also instructs us to observe the principles of BIOS life wisdom that are manifest in natural revelation. All right. So the Bible does teach us Zoe life wisdom. And it instructs us to observe the principles of Baos life wisdom that are manifest in natural revelation. And for this, we have obviously our text today talking about go to the ant, sluggard. But we have other passages in scripture where I think the principle can be clear. First Kings chapter 2 and chapter 3, chapter 4, all with reference to Solomon, by the way. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, which I talked about with my teenagers in the last teen class. But just so we're clear, we'll look at those in a moment, but just so I'm clear, the the secular life wisdom, okay, should be shaped by Zoe life wisdom. Because if it's not, we've got a problem. According to Romans 12, we've got a big problem. If we're not being transformed by the renewing of our mind, then we're being conformed to this age. And conformity to this age is a different kind of wisdom. Conformity to this age, the wisdom from below is earthly, natural, demonic, the wisdom from below, um, and, and this is why it's puzzling to some people, <clears throat> the wisdom from below can be very beneficial in temporal life. The sons of this age are more shrewd in relationship to their own kind than the sons of light. And so on a purely Machiavellian um, <clears throat> business, political kind of outlook, the, the unbeliever can, can, can thrive in a lot of ways that the believer can't. In business, in finance, in politics, in in certain applications. In dealing with one another. We're really fish out of water when it comes to living in the world but not making full use of the world, you understand. I think it's also valid to consider that, um, for example, a, a, a Mormon can have a blessed marriage. A Mormon can have beneficial financial circumstances. They they have in their anti-biblical, godless, satanic, evil, wicked religion, they have principles that are compatible with our scriptures. And they will have integrity to their wife or wives. They will have Uh, They will have discernment in their savings. They save like nobody's business, all right? They invest. They tithe, and more so, they're very um, structured in their finances. Now, can we learn from that? Well, we have to learn from our own scriptures first, (laughs) okay? Don't go to to the satanic scriptures. But understand that. Understand that there can be moral uh, Buddhists, Okay, and a Buddhist can uh, be faithful to his marriage vows. He can be, he can uh, not cheat on his wife. He can be uh, honorable in his business dealings, and he might do so for Buddhist reasons. Okay, trying to reach whatever he's trying to reach. Okay, and he can have a measure of temporal life blessing consequences because of that. And, and I think to deny that is ridiculous. To deny that there are tangible benefits to some of these moral pursuits. Alright? But just be aware of that because the atheists will use that as part of their defense of atheism to say, well, I don't need Christianity to be a moral person. No, you don't. I'll agree with that. You can be a moral person without Christianity, but you're going to go to hell. Hell is full of moral people. All right? Until you have eternal life. Now we're talking, see, and that comes through trusting Christ. So let's look at some of these other passages and, and hopefully we'll see the interchange between God's wisdom and um, temporal life matters, okay? First Kings 2.9, you know, before, and I think it's a worthwhile to examine Solomon and ask ourselves, well, which kind of wisdom did he get in that famous prayer? Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. Because the famous prayer shows up later. But even before the famous prayer, right? The famous prayer is, what do you want, Solomon? And he didn't want wealth, he didn't want women, didn't want all the, the fame and glory. And he, he asked for wisdom, God gave him wisdom, and then he gave him all those other things. Okay? That's the famous prayer. But he was wise even before that. If he didn't have wisdom before that, he wouldn't have asked for what he asked for in that famous prayer, okay? So in 1 Kings chapter 2, we have David's deathbed and the instructions that he's giving to his son. Uh, as, as David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. We're mortal creatures, bodies of dust, and when the spirit departs, dust returns to dust. Um, he says, "Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances and his testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Remember, a new king was required to write out his own copy of the Torah by hand for his own personal use. We can uh, presume that this is what David's instructing Solomon to do, and Solomon will do so. Uh, So you may succeed in in all that you do, wherever you turn. And David doesn't know anything about that special prayer and the the grace provision of wisdom and the things coming up. But he's telling him what he's going to need to rule over Israel. So that the Lord may carry out his promise, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth... With all their heart, with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So, this is his, uh, his words. Now he's going to have some other matters related to Joab, the son of Zeruiah, that's David's sister, so Joab would be a nephew. Uh, but family connections aren't going to save him. There's, there's things that have to be dealt with. What he did to Abner is wrong, and uh, so forth. And then, uh, so he says in verse 6, act according to your wisdom. Act according to your wisdom. All right, I don't have verse 6 on the slide. It should be there along with verse 9. 1 Kings 2, verse 6 and verse 9. So act according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to Sheol in peace. And here's what I'm showing you as an illustration of Bios life wisdom, specifically political wisdom. Political wisdom for how Solomon is going to secure his throne, how he's going to secure the transition and uh, and, and guarantee that in the new administration, in the new kingship, the reign of Solomon will not be precarious because he's going to take care of these things um, as a first order of business. Now this is secular, temporal, bios life wisdom, but it's coming as a reflection of Zoe life wisdom, spiritual life wisdom, being obedient to the uh, to God's ways and statutes and commandments and ordinances and testimonies, right? According to all that is contained in the Torah of Moshe, okay, the Torah of Moshe, the Law of Moses. So act according to your wisdom. And then uh, show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, For they uh, assisted me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. Uh, then there's Shimei in verse 8, the son of Gera, Got to deal with him too. He was um, a Benjamite, the son of Bahurim. It was he who cursed me with a violent curse on the day I went to Machanayim. But when he came down to me at, the, at Joram, I swore, at the Jordan, Jordan like a river. I swore to him by the Lord saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. So this is still old business and you've got to deal with it in your generation. Now, therefore, do not let him go unpunished for you are a wise man. Here again, it's this wisdom, but it's Bios life wisdom as a reflection of Zoe life wisdom. You are a wise man and you will know what you ought to do to him and you will bring his gray hair down to Sheol with blood. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Alright, so there's the application there. Uh, Chapter 3. So you see the interchange in this kind of wisdom. Chapter 3. And if we were to read the rest of chapter 2, we'll see that he does exactly what David told him to do towards Joab, towards Shimei, and uh, so forth. All right, we get into chapter 3. Solomon forms a marriage alliance. He takes his first of a 1,000 women here. And uh, interestingly enough, anyway, this is, I'm going to misspeak if I don't double-check myself. This is, uh, who was uh, Rehoboam's mother? Was it this girl? I don't think so. All right. In any event, more wisdom in verses 11 and verse 12. And here comes the prayer. Here comes the prayer. Um, so verse 5, And Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. <laughs> and boy, the carnal wheels start turning right away, right? For most of us, for many of us, Okay. Well, not you. You guys are too smart. But for me, or you know, another person, if God says, "Name your price," Ooh, anything, anything goes. Okay, you know, this is this is like uh, Isaiah going to King Ahab or Ahaz and saying, "Pick a pick a sign, make it as high as you want, as high as heaven or as low as shale." All right. Ask what you wish me to give you. And Solomon said, "You have shown great loving kindness." That's the chesed to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart. Anyway, we're familiar with this, okay? So he's going to ask for wisdom. And uh, he's going to confess in his, uh, in his humility. Now we saw already he's a wise man. David said he was wise. Twice David said he was wise. But he's wise enough to know that he's not wise enough. You see how that works? There you go. So verse 8, where he says, I'm a little child in verse 7. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or how to come in. Okay. Now, on a literal basis, that's not factually true, but you understand what he's doing here in comparison with David. In comparison with David, he says, I'm not, I'm not the king my father was. I'd like to be that someday, but not now. I'm not there. And there's humility on that, okay? So your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge uh, your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? And I believe in this request, for this kind of wisdom, He's asking for, and I don't think that actually chakma is even in here, but there's understanding, an understanding heart, and then there's to discern, it's binah, all right, between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And so encapsulated in this prayer is, I believe, both. I believe both Zoe life wisdom and Bios life wisdom. Because he's not just, he doesn't just simply want an understanding of good and evil, an understanding of, of, and that could that, that even goes back to Adam and Eve, right? In the tree in the garden. But good and evil. He wants discernment there. But more than that, it's able to judge God's people. To judge God's people, to judge this great people of yours. And in order to be, you know, in order to to, to be a judge, he needs to be like the judge, the, the God and as the judge of the universe who's righteous and justice and, and so forth. So he wants to have the Zoe life wisdom so that it's also reflected in his bios life wisdom. And the bios life wisdom for a king, of course, is political. It's absolutely political. Now, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing and God said to him, this is verse 11, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, you know, you could have asked to, to be immortal, could have asked, to, you know, uh, any number of things, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. See, that right there, I think, goes to the laws of the divine establishment and shows that the state uh, bears the sword uh, for God's reasons. That this is is the instrument of God's justice on the earth. All right, discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words and more. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one arise after you. Unique of all the the uh, kings on the Davidic throne, wiser than David even, because it's divinely imputed to him. God doesn't always walk according to His wisdom. Okay, we're going to see that. With all this wisdom, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding, and don't let it go. Don't, don't ignore it. Don't quench it. Don't resist it. <clears throat> all right. So now, is this? Uh, is this? Limited to Zoe wisdom is it limited to Bios wisdom? I believe it's a blend of both. And then he adds to that. He says in verse thirteen, "I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that will not be any among the kings like you all of your days." But notice it's a separate imputation. It is not necessarily connected. Just because you are diligent with the word of God and just because you are faithful in your spiritual life, just because you're pleasing to God, does not mean you're entitled to health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. okay? He may grant that, he may not grant that. In Solomon's case, he granted both. So I've also given what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. He wanted Solomon to stand out in spiritual ways and in temporal ways. So we have the pattern of it there. Notice over to chapter 4. In chapter 4 I think these references are mainly in Bios' life. Verses 29 through 34 I mean some of it would be in spiritual life, but goodness, I think much more is in Beos' life. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. I've spent a lot of time on that phrase, breadth of mind. How does God expand our capacity for thought? Our capacity to apprehend uh, gnosis and epinosis and, and other uh, components. Not just in, in wisdom in, in spiritual life, but in bios life as well. Does God involve with that? All right. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the East. Remember Job? He was one of the sons of the East. The great men of the East that were noteworthy for their discernment, for their wisdom. And all the wisdom of Egypt... Was that biblical wisdom? <laughs> was wisdom a centerpiece of uh, theological, biblical uh, knowledge or under- No, not at all. It was it was uh, it, it was full of uh, understanding on mathematics and science and astronomy and and uh, geography and all kinds of things. Did I say mathematics already. Mathematics, calendars, and uh, Solomon outdid all of them. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, whoever he was, Haman, Calchol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, whoever they were. The point being, these men were known and legendary at the time First Kings was written. His fame was known in all the surrounding nations. You know, I mean, if you go to Ukraine and mention the name, um, you know, mention the name Donald Trump, I suspect they've heard of the guy. Okay? You go and you mention the name whatever, uh, they probably haven't heard of him. Okay? right. He also spoke 3,000 Proverbs. That's more than the book of Proverbs. Okay? A lot more than the book of Proverbs. So what are those non-biblical Proverbs about? Okay? Do they include things like a stitch in time saves nine? <laughs> you know, was it the kind of wisdom that, that, that Ben Franklin would have been very familiar with or uh, comfortable with? Um, you know, red sky at night, sailors delight. Okay. Red sky in morning, sailors take warning, stuff like that. Lefty, loosey, righty-tighty. That's my favorite. <laughs> All right. Um, well, you had a lot of them. They're not all Zoe life wisdom. A lot of it's BIOS life wisdom. Okay? And that's great, but understand that BIOS life wisdom is icing on the cake. BIOS life wisdom is above and beyond. All right? It's not the goal of why you're in Bible class. It's not the goal of why we study to show ourselves approved or why we love Jesus Christ or why we pursue ministry or why we come to church. We're not living our our spiritual life so that we can flourish or thrive or be prosperous in temporal life. If he gives that over and above, great, praise the Lord. If he withholds it, great, praise the Lord. His songs were one thousand and five. Wow. But well, we know about Song of Solomon and we know about Psalm is it twenty seven? Psalm one hundred twenty seven? One of them, Ethel knows. No? Okay. One of the hundred and fifty Psalms in our Psalms, book of Psalms, is Solomon's. I think it's one hundred twenty seven or twenty seven or whatever, yeah. Have to find it before it's it's one hundred twenty seven. A psalm of ascents, which is Solomon. So we know about the Song of Solomon. We know about... But what, what are the other 1,003? <laughs> okay. What other songs did he write? Did he play guitar too? What did he do? He spoke of trees. Oh, my goodness. Didn't hug him, but he spoke about them. Okay. But notice, from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the, on the wall. So he's an expert on trees. We find out in, in Ecclesiastes that he actually planted groves and vineyards and gardens, and he was uh, he was well um, he was an expert on these matters. He also spoke of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. And men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now, the Queen of Sheba, we know, came for spiritual reasons to learn the Word of God and as a positive response to God consciousness. And I think she was a a Gentile Old Testament believer. But I believe that was probably the exception rather than the rule. I suspect most of these politicians and kings and other men, uh, princes and whatever, merchants, I I think they just came to get some some bios life wisdom. You know? How do you plant those trees? How do you cultivate this vine? Why do you have the best wine around? Things like that. Know, just as a ratio, I suspect that more were Bios life minded rather than Zoe life minded on certain things. Could be wrong. <laughs> Daniel chapter 1, verse 17 and verse 20. Here's another good illustration on this. What I was encouraging the teenagers with a couple of weeks ago. Daniel chapter 1. And we know the story. We know the background for this. Nebuchadnezzar had taken hostages away from Jerusalem. And they were uh, held hostage in Babylon, taken back to Babylon and uh, guaranteeing that that, uh, Jehoiakim would not rebel. And in the process, they were getting brainwashed. They were being put in the Babylonian schools. They were given Babylonian names. I imagine they had to speak the, uh, the Babylonian language, uh, the Chaldean language and not Hebrew, and, and all of this culture including their diet, including their education, including their language and all of this. And interestingly enough God blessed their studies. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. They graduated number one, two, three, and four at uh, the University of Babylon. Okay? Right? Go, what was their mascot? I don't know. They're tops of their class. They excelled in, it wasn't Bible study. (laughs) You know, can God bless us more than just Bible study? I mean, I know he's blessing us this morning right now in, in Proverbs, but he can bless a student at the University of Texas studying whatever, computer science or what have you, or medieval French literature or whatever, okay? Every branch of literature. And they were mathematicians, they were astronomers, they were um, the the Babylonians are the ones that gave us our 360 degree circles and and, uh, the uh, 60 minutes in an hour and 60 seconds in a minute. They had a base 60 mathematical system Alright, mathematics is hard enough in base 10, as far as I'm concerned, but they had base 60. They're probably doing all kinds of differential calculus in base 60. What, what's trigonometry like in base 60? Alright. And these guys were, and God blessed them in this. Every branch of literature and wisdom, God even understood, uh, Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Now that's not secular. That's definitely spiritual and beyond just special revelation. That's actually an insight in some interesting um, spirit realm things, okay? God bless them in that. Verse 20, as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them. So not only are they tops of their class, we get that, but then they go to work, okay? They go to work. I don't know about you, have you ever encountered hotshot know-it-alls from college, that uh, graduate and they get their first job out of college and they got this fancy piece of paper in their hand and they show up on day one acting like they know everything and man, the real experts have been doing that career for the last 40 years. Uh, they're not impressed with this piece of paper and whatever. They just say, you know what, glad to have you here, newbie. Um, let's, let's show you how the real world works. and And you find that there's... Engineers, or or you know somebody in the field that's been in doing this endeavor for whatever length of time, and uh, and and they're able to take them from just the classroom knowledge now to the real experience. Okay, God actually blessed Daniel in that capacity as well, because Nebuchadnezzar hires them. You get their job interview in verse nineteen. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. Not only did they get a job in government, they got a job on his staff in the the administration. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. He has a uh, a supernatural advisory board here that he consults when he has dreams and nightmares and other problems. And these college graduates now on day one are not just tops of their class, they outdo these career um, advisors, these career uh, spirit counselors. And uh, that's, to me, I find that just absolutely extraordinary. And we can make application in a lot of ways ourselves. All right, let's move on to verse 7. Little do we know, From a, in our non-ant perspective, there are no discernible chiefs, officers, or rulers directing the ant's work. <clears throat> Proverbs 6 and verse 7. So let me get back to Proverbs So go to the O sluggard to observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer, and gathers her provision in the harvest. All right, so verse seven says, "They have no chief officer or ruler." Is our Bible wrong? do we do we believe now because of modern science and understanding and research and whatever that that there are there's a division of labor among the ants that there's a queen ant there's worker ants there's drones there's there's ants of other functions that they have a very organized system and structure and does that mean then that this verse is wrong and that we can't apply this no i do believe though that it's in our non ant perspective <laughs> From what we know, based on what we can see, looking at these things, there are no discernible chiefs, officers, or rulers directing the ant's work. And I find that important because that is true from our non-ant perspective, that if there are chiefs, officers, and rulers, that they are not discernible from our non-ant perspective. And that's important because I think there's a corollary to that in our spiritual life. I believe it's uh, the corollary is to an unbeliever's perspective. <laughs> the unbeliever looks at us and fails to apprehend the Zoe life wisdom that shapes our bios life wisdom. They look at us and they don't see our chief officer or ruler. They don't see the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the church. They don't see the spiritual life priorities. They don't see what is, un, what is to them unseen. But to us, when well, we fix our eyes on the unseen? Okay? And so I think the pattern is, is actually quite beautiful. Even if the mockers are going to mock it and say, well, Solomon doesn't know what he's talking about. The, uh, the insects are actually very organized with chiefs, officers, or rulers. Okay? <laughs> we just can't tell the difference as we're looking at it with a naked eye. All right. You know, Romans 8, how Zoe life wisdom shapes our Beos life wisdom and how often it is unseen by Beos life eyes, but it's completely seen by Zoe life eyes. I don't think I'm going to cover all of these passages in a minute and 36 seconds, but I can try. Romans 8, 24. In other words, we're going to pick up with this slide next week. You know, the creation is groaning, suffering the pains of childbirth together until now. Not only this, we ourselves groan, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Okay? For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. So, there again, what we have is a contrast between the BIOS life perspective and the Zoe life perspective. And what cannot be seen in BIOS life, we can still hope for and wait by faith. Remember, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so, BIOS life can't see it. BIOS life looks at things and says, there's no provision, there's no hope, there's no answers. And BIOS life does not see where the answer is. But Zoe life sees the one who has all the answers. Okay? Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Keeping our eyes fixed on Him. Alright, 2 Corinthians 4.18 and five seven. we walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 1, verse 7, verse 13, verse 27. We'll spend some time in Hebrews 11 next week. And then we'll come back to Proverbs 6 and take a look at prudence prepares Prudence prepares, prepares for food in the summer. What are you preparing for? Are you preparing for anything? Okay. Well, I'm preparing for next week. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your truth. I pray that we would learn appropriately through natural revelation, but we'd start with special revelation. First and foremost, Father, presenting ourselves before you as workmen needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Once we've done that, Father then we will appropriately discern aspects out of natural revelation as well that illustrate the uh, imperatives and commands that we are bound to obey from your truth. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.